0: Amen, so um, over the past several weeks we have been looking at a segment of the book of genesis uh, that gives us the testimony of the life of this young man, Joseph. And it's kind of been a series of studies um, that I have loosely called from the pit to the palace as we have followed uh, this man from his youth and the call that God had initially placed upon his life and then up through his preparation uh, and his trying and his, his change and transformation and then the exaltation as he came into a place of great prominence um uh, on things and and i hope that as we've gone through these past studies the past six weeks tonight being the seventh and kind of kind of the conclusion of at least uh this part of joseph's life i hope that for you it's been an encouragement I hope that it's given you insight in your own life uh, to the things that God has done or maybe is doing in the path that you are in. I'm hoping that it's given you some vision, uh, an outlook to be able to kind of see where you're going and where God might be taking you through the things that you've been going through And above all that, I I, I pray that it's given you some hope, you know, that in the middle of some of the the, the crazy that we go through in this life, um, that God has been able to use what he did in Joseph's life uh, to to at least encourage you that there's a reason behind the things uh, that you have gone through. And I think we all love the story of Joseph. It is so uh, relatable to us, and it's just uh, um, such an amazing thing that, that it resonates inside of us. And it's just an epic story. I mean, it has everything in it that we like in a good story. You know, there's tragedy, there's destiny, there's betrayal, there's lust and greed and tension, temptation, conflict, heroism, sacrifice, glory, and, and, and best of all, there's an epically climactic resolution in the whole thing as we see Joseph just coming through all of that uh, and overcoming in it. And, and we just absolutely love a good story and especially one uh, that we can feel that touches us uh, in a way that relates and connects. In our house, um, we, have a, we have actually a policy and a rule And that is that my wife is never, ever, 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 ever allowed to choose the movie (laughs) on movie night. Because she has a reputation and she actually inherited a gene from my father-in-law who is not allowed to ever, 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 ever choose the movie uh, in his household either because they are just epically bad. I mean, if she picked it out, there's kind of like a disappointment before we even hear the title, you know, and because just her taste in movies and what attracts her in a title or in a cover or in a, in a synopsis that you read on the back is just not what anybody else in the world would relate to, you know. And so some of the, some of the um, movies that she has picked out, uh, no joke, one of them was The Life of a Deer and and we got through about four minutes of that and then it was just kind of like just can we gracious can we maybe pick something else you know this is not a good choice here uh, another one recently that she chose was called the eagle huntress and it was no i'm not joking you it was in chinese with english subtitles <laughs> and she actually chose this and some of my kids can't read yet you know <laughs> So this was family entertainment chosen by my wife. Uh, recently, on a on a trip to Rochester, you know, we have the drop-down DVD player in our minivan, which is a must for a young family, and, um, you know, we our hearts sunk because she had gone to the library, and she got three, and three, so she put in the first two. I don't even remember what they were, but it was fail, fail. One of them was actually Blu-ray, which you know no go on the blu-ray and then the third one was horton here's a who and we thought okay well we've seen it but at least there's some potential in this thing but it turned out to be the 1970s version that was an intermix between it was just gone you know and so so like we we violate our own rule but this is just a rule in our household And, and the reason why the movies are so bad is because there's just absolutely no connection at all And the thing that we love about a good story is when it's relatable in some way. And I believe that's why Joseph's story resonates with us when we read it in the Bible. Because we see him going through kind of this this crescendo of starting, you know, kind of starting in a place and then dipping down into absolute suffering and then rising to absolute glory. And and on the, the front half of that, we relate to it because all of us, have felt the bottom drop out all of us know what it feels like to suffer and to 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 be betrayed and, and to be alone and in isolation and to be in a circumstance that makes no sense and we all relate to that and so we love it but then the top half that gives us hope right because often we maybe haven't gotten there yet but as we see it in joseph and we realize that it's the same god That brought him where he was going who also has us in his hand It gives us hope to realize that the things that we're going through that relate to joseph's front half Are going to resolve that there's a reason for all of it And so as we come to this portion of scripture that we're in tonight the back half of chapter 45 What we really have is the resolution we're kind of on the mountaintop Of all that has happened and so we have two resolutions tonight first of all the resolution for joseph who, though he's been exalted to his position of prominence, is still very much in darkness concerning the things that have happened in his past. They haven't come to resolution yet in terms of fully being reconciled with his brothers, reunited with his father, you know, kind of things set the way they're supposed to be. And we're going to see that resolution. But then also, secondly, the resolution for Jacob. If you recall that where Jacob is at this point in our story, is that Jacob is sitting on a pile of ruins that's called his life. And he's just seen everything become nothing. And he's sitting upon that. And so for him, there's a need for resolution because he's in darkness as to why everything has gone so terribly wrong for him. And so we'll see tonight the resolution for these uh, two men that we love so much and that we follow their story. And so if you would uh, look at the text with me in verse 16, and we'll read through all the way through chapter 46, verse 7, which is the whole entire passage for tonight's uh, Bible study, um, and then we'll talk about it. So it says in verse 16, it says that the fame thereof, that is the reuniting fame, the fame that, um, that was published abroad when Joseph revealed who he was to his brothers... It says, it was heard in Pharaoh's house saying, Joseph's brothers are come, and it pleased Pharaoh well and his servants. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, Say unto your brothers, this do ye, laid your beasts, load them up, pack them up, and go and get you into the land of Canaan, and take your father. And your households and come to me and I will give you the good of the land of Egypt and you shall eat the fat of the land. Now you are commanded this do ye take wagons or chariots or or trailers, semi trucks, moving trucks out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Also, regard not your stuff. Don't even worry about packing up what you've got. Just sell, list your homes there as pre-furnished and just get rid of everything that's there. You don't need to bring anything with you because all of the good of the land of Egypt is yours. And it says that the children of Israel did so. So Joseph's brothers and Joseph gave them wagons according to the commandment of Pharaoh and he gave them provisions for the way. To all of them, he gave each man changes of clothes, but to Benjamin, he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of clothes. So again, just showing abundant favoritism to the one blood brother that he has, the same mother, Rachel being their mother. And it says that to his father, he sent after this manner, 10 asses laden with the good things of Egypt and ten she-asses laden with corn and bread and meat for his father, by the way. So just imagine, if you can, these donkeys that are just burdened down, carrying the maximum uh, potential weight that they can, carrying literally the richest, wealth, and treasures of Egypt, and they're now going to be sent back, and Joseph is going to see them coming in this entourage as he prepares, uh, or as they prepare to tell him the good news. And so it says that he sent his brothers away and they departed and he said unto them, see that you fall not out by the way, mark that in your mind. And they went up out of Egypt and they came into the land of Canaan unto Jacob, their father. And they told him saying, Joseph is yet alive and he is governor over all the land of Egypt and Jacob's heart fainted for he believed them not and they told him all the words of joseph which he had said unto them and when they saw the wagons which joseph had sent to carry him the spirit of jacob their father revived or literally it came to life a light that had gone out years ago returns instantly upon hearing this news and then seeing the proof and it says that israel said it is enough Joseph is my my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. I don't even care about the camel or the, the donkeys laden with stuff, the moving trucks. I don't even care about you, 11 boys, standing here alive and well. The thing that has made my day and made my life and made all of this worthwhile is the news that my son Joseph is yet alive and that I'll see him before I die. And so Israel took his journey with all that he had and he came to Beersheba. Which is on the very border now So he travels to the southernmost border of Canaan The promised land, the border of Egypt And it says that he offered sacrifices unto the God of his father Isaac And God spoke unto Israel in the visions of the night And said, Jacob, Jacob And he said, here am I And he said, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make of thee a great nation. I will go down with thee into Egypt, and I will also surely bring thee up again. And Joseph shall put his hand upon your eyes. In other words, you're going to die while you're there, but don't (laughs) worry. My destiny for your people is that you will be brought back into this land. And Jacob rose up from Beersheba. And the sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father and their little ones and their wives in the wagons, the Ford transits that Jacob or that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. And they took their cattle and their goods, which they had gotten in the land of Canaan. And they came into Egypt, Jacob and all his seed with him, his sons and and his son's sons with him his daughters and his son's daughters and all his seed brought he into egypt now on your own If you so desire you can read From verse 8 all the way to about, you know The end of the chapter about a paragraph before the end and it just gives the names of every single person that came We're not gonna read all of those names uh, even when we continue the the saga next week, you know, so, um Jacob brings everyone down uh, to Egypt. I have a a, a friend who attends this church that I have known um, for a number of years. And a number of years ago, uh, this man and his family, they they had a very uh, blessed situation, blessed life. They had a, a very peaceful and satisfying set of circumstances that they were in. Um, their family was wholesome and healthy, their marriage uh, strong, a very good financial position, not rich by any means, but certainly comfortable according to the standard of life, uh, a very good job and very position, good position, and, and everything was just, was looking very good for, for these people. And then all of a sudden, with no warning and and with really no uh, catalyst, no uh, reason for anything to happen, uh, all of a sudden, there was this season that came upon this family that I have come to call supernaturally bad. And all of a sudden, there was like this Job-like thing that happened where although the, the family you know stayed together and the marriage was unaffected and, and my friend didn't lose his job, just about everything else that they had and enjoyed disintegrated. Their health as a family, as a whole family, just suddenly disintegrated. Uh, their finances as a result of that disintegrated. They ended up losing uh, their house. And, and just a, a whole host of very difficult things uh, started to happen to them for no reason, no apparent reason. And, and that's not an uncommon story. I, I mean, that has happened. You might be sitting here now and saying, yeah, that, that sounds like a season of my life, a season that I was in, or a season that I am in. Uh, it's just supernaturally bad is the only way that you can describe it. And oftentimes, um, it's my pleasure and what I get to do here. And and I'm not saying that sarcastically, is that I sit across a table or across uh, at a diner or in an office and and have these people, they they share with me the things that are going on. And essentially, as they do that, they're giving me that look as if to say, you work for God, so you tell me what in the world he's doing and why this is happening in my life. And that's, that's just a wonderful position to be in. When you're there and they're asking you these things i've had my own supernaturally bad uh, Seasons in my life things that are Inexplainable by any um, human explanation that i've asked those same questions to And my answer typically to these people is I have no idea What's going on in your life right now, and I have no idea why But the fact that it is as bad as it is gives me great hope Because what it tells me is that the hand of god is in it Because oftentimes when God is seeking to do something in someone's life, there's a testing or a trial or a preparation for something that's to come. He has to let things get so bad that there is no human reason or human help. Natural resources go out the window. Education can't explain it. Textbooks and self-help books and therapists, and there's not going to be a solution in any of that. And God will strip a person to the place where the answer can only come from him and where they must rely completely and solely upon him in in that situation because of what he is doing and what he needs to do in that life that only he can do. But here's the good news. Though we don't know what he's doing, why he's doing it, or when it's going to be over, what we do know very absolutely is that he will bring you through this. And that this situation, the circumstance that you're in, is not a forever situation. I want to talk to you tonight, in the time that we have remaining, about one phrase that comes out of the passage that we read tonight. And what it is, is the last word of instruction that Joseph gave to his brothers before sending them back to retrieve Jacob and the rest of the family and move them down to Egypt. Pharaoh gives a commandment. And Pharaoh says, Go, take the wagons, the empty trucks, and bring everything and everyone down here. He commanded that it be so. And then Joseph affirms the edict of Pharaoh and he tells them to go and bring everything down here. But then he gives, at the very end of his uh, instruction, a, a sentence of caution. He gives them a warning, a word that almost seems like it doesn't fit within the passage. It almost seems like it's out of context, like it doesn't belong, like it goes without saying. What we know about God's word is that nothing that is spoken goes without saying. It's there at the end of verse 24, and you'll see just the very last sentence. Joseph says to them, he says, see that you fall not out by the way. The last word of warning that he gives in the middle of blessing, in the middle of great treasure and opportunity and resolution being brought on everyone in the situation, he gives a warning, see that you fall not out of the way or by the way. The word falling out that's there in the Hebrew literally means in its most precise translation, See that nothing shakes you out of the way. See that you are not shaken out of the way. Now, this is, for these boys, their fourth, it will be their fourth trip on this route that that connects Canaan and Egypt. Remember, they had come down to buy grain the first time, so they they knew the terrain. They had then returned everyone but Simeon with grain, so that's the second time. They ran out of food. Now they come with Benjamin, and they make the trek the third time. And now they're being told, go back and get everyone. This is going to be their fourth time on what is now a very familiar path. You would think that this warning is not necessary. Well, we know the way. We know the traps. We know where you can make wrong turns. We know where things are shady, and we need to cover our our tracks and our backs. We're aware of this trip. But what Joseph is warning them about here is not the physical transportation of moving between point A and point B and the dangers that will come upon them. But rather what he's warning them about is that they are not shaken from their purpose. That they're not shaken from accomplishing or fulfilling the thing that is necessary for them in order to get back. Pack up and then return and see to it that everyone is brought into egypt Now what we know or you should know if you've been trekking with us through genesis and following the narrative of god and his people It is god's will that jacob and his descendants be set in egypt So this word of caution that joseph is giving to them here is not a word of safety But rather a word of warning Concerning falling out of their purpose. He's saying don't fall out of your purpose. Fulfill now the plan that God has for you and your future. Don't fall out of the way. An amazing thing that he's saying. You know there's a scripture in the New Testament. It's in the book of Hebrews. And it's in chapter 4 verse 1. And the writer of Hebrews is, is, is very emphatically urging the new testament christian that's you and i to realize the fullness of our potential in christ that is the fullness of relationship the fullness of his purpose for us that we might know him and walk in him in the fullest way possible and in chapter 4 verse 1 he gives a warning he says this and let it sink in he says let us therefore fear that's us that's you and i lest a promise being left to us of entering into his rest that any of you should seem to come short of it. Now, the rest that he is speaking of ties back or correlates to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, when he said, Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then he said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light and you will find rest for your souls. In other words, the rest that the Hebrew writer is talking about is not simply our salvation, but rather it's also connected to the purpose and the call that God has placed upon each one of our lives. That's the yoke that Jesus was talking about. He's saying, listen, I've got something for you to do. There's something that is form-fitted for your life so that you can make an impact in this world before you pass into glory. And, And the Hebrew writer is saying to us, let us fear, lest a promise being given to us of entering into his rest, then any of you should seem to come short of it. And that is the very heart of the warning that Joseph is giving to his brothers in verse 24. He's saying to them, see that you fall not out of the way. See to it that you fulfill the purpose of God that he has. The plan for you and for your families and for your destiny. Now, Joseph, the one who's saying these words, he knows exactly what he's talking about. Because Joseph is on the other side of that purpose and realizing that purpose. He has already taken the journey, not between Egypt and Canaan. He took that journey once. He'll take it next time in a bag of bones way later on in the future. But the journey that he's talking about is this journey of starting at a place of broken and realizing the fullness of what God has. And Joseph had done that. And he realizes that there are very real pitfalls and dangers that can sideline you and circumvent you from realizing what it is that God has for you. And he's saying, pay attention. Take heed that you fall not out of the way. Now, one of the remarkable things that I love about Joseph's life and his testimony on the pages of Scripture is how similar. It is to the life and ministry of Jesus Christ We've seen glimpses of it along the way But there probably isn't a person in the entire Bible That more closely overlays by pattern The person of Christ and the ministry of Christ Than Joseph whom we see here in the story I want to just read to you by way of a list The ways in which Joseph Is kind of a picture or a prefiguring or a parable of the ministry of Christ. First of all, Joseph was preordained in his destiny. He was given dreams before his life. And likewise, Jesus said to Pilate when he testified before him, he said, for to this end am I born, John 18, 37, to bear witness unto the truth. In other words, my destiny was sealed before I even was born. To unto this end was I born. Second, Joseph testified of his brother's evil works. Remember when he brought their evil report to his father? What did Jesus say in John chapter 7, verse 7? He said, you want to kill me because I testify to you that your works are evil. Jesus brought an evil report upon his brethren, Israel in his day. Joseph, number three, came into a field seeking lost brothers. Remember when Jacob said, go find your brothers. Well, Jesus also came into the field of the world. Jesus said that the field is the world. And it says that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He would leave the 99 and go find those that were astray. Number four, Joseph was betrayed and rejected by his brothers. Jesus also was betrayed and rejected by his brothers. Luke chapter 19, verse 14, the Jews, Jesus' brothers, said emphatically, we will not have this man rule over us. The exact thing that Joseph's brothers said to him when he testified of his dreams. Fifthly, this is going to get hard for me soon because I put these by letter, not by number. So if I lose the numbers, forgive me. But fifthly, Joseph was stripped Of his glorious robe twice, even as Jesus was stripped of his glory twice. You say, what do you mean twice? Well, the first time for Joseph was when the coat of many colors was taken off of him. And his glorious coat was removed. The second time was when he left his garment, his robe, in the hand of Potiphar's wife, on the day he was falsely accused, on the day when his suffering began. And likewise, Jesus on that day was also stripped and his robe was taken. You know, amazingly, I love this. You know how Joseph was given a coat of many colors? You know, and then that coat was taken from him and it was dipped in blood. Think about this for just a minute. When Jesus is seen in his glory, in the book of Revelation, it says that his robe shined like light it says that in the transfiguration account and it also says it when he's seen in glory that he was like pure light so bright that you couldn't look into it well, Do you know what light is light is a mashing of all color spectrums together if you take light and you break it in a prism it shows you the colors and hues that make up that light it's amazing when you think about the code of many colors And how it speaks of the glory that Jesus himself is robed in in heaven. Well, Jesus took off his glorious robe and he walked among us. But here's an amazing thing. Revelation chapter 19 verse 13. It says that when he returns, he's going to be wearing a robe, a glorious robe. His vesture will be dipped in blood. Isn't that amazing? You think Joseph who is stripped of his glory and then that Glorious robe dipped in blood, and we see Jesus returning with his vesture, his robe dipped in blood. Sixthly, his brothers, Joseph's, sat to eat while they were preparing to rid themselves themselves of Joseph. It says that he was in the pit crying out, his destiny not yet settled, and they sat down to eat. Well, when you read John chapter 18, verse 28. You can put it up on the screen. What does it say? It says, they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the hall of judgment, and it was early, and they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. You see the, the Jesus' brothers doing the same thing as Joseph's brothers. We see that Joseph was tempted by the adulteress of Egypt, Potiphar's wife, unnamed. And we see that Jesus was tempted By the wife of this world the defilement of this world tempting him to Indulge in its sinful pleasures, but just like joseph endured jesus endured We see that joseph was falsely accused of crimes. He didn't commit jesus also falsely accused We see that joseph was who endured Punishment in spite of his innocence We know that jesus endured the cross in spite of the fact that he had done no sin He was found without guilt We know that Joseph suffered isolation in his imprisonment. And we know that Jesus suffered isolation as he cried out and said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And not even his disciples, whom he had sought companionship and help from in that moment, were with him as they fell asleep while he prayed. We see that Joseph suffered in prison, being forgotten by those he served. We see the same thing that Jesus, who had multitudes around him, while he was in his ministry, we see that when he was on the cross, he was alone, except for his mother and one disciple, John. And he was forgotten by those whom he served. But that still happens today, doesn't it? How often do we forget the Lord who serves us? We see that Joseph was exalted in due time to a place of great prominence and glory. And even as Jesus, it says in Ephesians chapter 1 That he is exalted far above And that all things are placed under his feet We see of Joseph that through his suffering Listen to this Through Joseph's suffering He brought salvation to the Gentiles And they became beneficiaries Of what was initially intended for Jacob's descendants Joseph saving Egypt Through the plan to store up the corn in Egypt the Gentiles became beneficiaries of God's salvation that was intended for Jacob and his descendants And so to Jesus through his suffering He brought salvation to the Gentiles something that was given to the Jew first But we become the beneficiaries of it the Gentiles by faith in Jesus Christ We see that Joseph every knee was bowed down to him including his brothers And of Jesus, it says that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess to the glory of God that he is the Lord, including the Jews. We see that Jesus, I'm sorry, Joseph, called then his brothers to forsake all and live in his kingdom that he would provide for them. Even as Jesus bids us, you and I, to leave Canaan, the desert place, and to be fed by him and to put our trust in him, dwelling in his kingdom. We see of Joseph, That he did the work, listen to this, Joseph did the work, but someone else received the prize. What's that? Joseph is the one that provided, quote unquote, salvation. But it would be Judah, his older brother, that would get the birthright of having the Messiah come through his seed. Joseph did the work. Judah received the prize. So too with Jesus. Jesus did the work Of purchasing our salvation but he makes us kings and priests before God and his father and we obtain a kingdom and a position that we don't deserve and that we didn't earn we see of Joseph finally and there's many more if we wanted to pick it apart but we'll stop here Joseph gave his brothers a final warning and he said see that you fall not out of the way that you fulfill your purpose and we see also that Jesus gives to us a final commission that there's a purpose and a destiny for every one of our lives. And with it, laced throughout the New Testament, is this warning that we have to abide in him, to endure unto the end, and to see to it that we don't fall short of entering into his rest. And so I share all of that with you, not by way of just saying, wow, look at the parallels, but of drawing forth that what Joseph said to his brothers as they went out on their journey, he now says, Jesus, to us as we set out or continue with ours, that we're not to fall out by the way. Joseph has finished their beginning. Now, you ask the question, and maybe this is a little bit parenthetical, But why is it that this this amazing overlay is given to us in Scripture? I can tell you that I don't think that the reason it's here is so that you and I can say we had a very nice Bible study last night about how much Joseph and Jesus are paralleled in, in their walk and in their ministry. Listen, the reason why God so carefully made sure that we would obviously see the correlation between the two is not as a proof that there's congruency in the Bible. But listen, and this is is more important, it applies to you and I. It's because all of God's people are a pattern and an example of the one that we follow. See, it isn't that Jesus followed in Joseph's steps, It's that Joseph followed in Jesus' steps, even though he hadn't yet physically come yet. It's not about Joseph and what he went through. It's about what Jesus and what he went through. See, Jesus is the one that blazed the trail. Joseph blazed the trail from Canaan to Egypt. Jesus blazed the trail from earth to heaven. And the call that Jesus gives to you and I now is follow me. He gave that call throughout the Gospels. He was constantly saying, follow me. Peter writes to us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, he says that we are to follow his example, that he's given us steps. And so it isn't that Joseph correlated with Christ and it's this weird coincidence, but rather what it shows you and I, listen carefully, is that as we overlay our experience on top of Joseph's, on top of Jesus's, there's going to be similarities because we're following him. And his pattern, the steps that he took, the journey that we take in following his steps always follows this order. Birth, death, resurrection. We could invert that if we wanted. Birth, death, and resurrection. Dreams, pit, prison, betrayal, isolation, time, darkness, the palace. Ministry, feeding 5,000, walking on water, betrayal, death, crucifixion, crown of thorns, resurrection. And listen, for you and I, we're born again. The lights are on. We come into a saving knowledge of Jesus, Son of God, His Word, His truth, His life. And if we walk in His steps, we will all go through the trial, the pain, the taking up of the cross, the supernaturally bad section of our life where we're taught, purified, and trained But God ultimately will bring resurrection and will come out of the pit that we were in But the warning that's given is see that you fall not out of the way We're walking in a path. We're going somewhere. We have a purpose But there's the danger of falling out of the path. What was the danger? That joseph was warning his brothers of here in the passage what were the potential pitfalls that could have subverted their cause and stolen from them their purpose of achieving what it was that they were seeking in, in, in what they were called to at this section of their life? If we look at the text, there's just three things and we'll close out the study by looking at these three, three things and then we can meditate on them and we can go home. Well, what, what are these things? Now, listen... The the warning that's given to us to not fall out of the way is not a warning that we're going to lose our salvation or our place in heaven That's not the fear We've been bought and sealed by christ And so the fall that we're warned about is not a falling away from his grace or our place in his kingdom That's been settled. That's been set by christ not by us But the warning and the danger is of wasting our life it's of Having the promise of entering into his purpose and then coming short of it That's the danger. That's what we're afraid of And so how can it happen? What are the warnings or the dangers represented in the text that could have subverted these guys and you could write these things down Think them through develop them in your own life. But number one is this is that it's the danger of quitting moving forward because of the difficulty of the trial quitting forward progress because of the danger of the trial now these guys the brothers are already under tremendous stress they're trying to float a family business that is sinking day by day they have their roles and responsibilities in the regular part of their life they're carrying psychological guilt and anguish from the decisions and choices that they made in their past And they're trying to keep their personal life, their family life, and their professional life all going all at once. And as you and I know, that can be amazingly overwhelming, just that, right? But now on top of that, they're being told that there's a great relocation coming. Go home, pack everything up, bring closure to everything in Canaan, and move everything down here. That can sometimes be the icing on the cake that just makes you say, you know what, I don't know if I want to do that. I mean, we have a connection. We have an in with Egypt. We can send our camels down as often as we want, and Joseph is going to give us food. If we can ride out the famine in Canaan, we don't have to go through all the trouble of coming down into Egypt. We can make this work, maintaining the status quo of our life right now. And that temptation is a very real temptation for you and I in our life. God has something for you, But in the midst of everything else you're dealing with, sometimes there's a cost as he calls us higher and further than where we presently are. And it's going to take effort. And we can become discouraged because of the difficulty of it, and we can stop in our tracks and waste time not coming into what he has. Not only the brothers, but if you think about the position that Jacob is yet in. I mean, he's borderline suicidal here. He's saying, everything is against me. I've got no more reason to live. In fact, I wonder personally if that thought ever crossed Jacob's mind. You know, I don't know if it's even worth it anymore. Why don't I just take my own life? I think people do that all the time. I shared with you a few Sundays ago that I went through a period in my own life where I thought to myself, you know, it would be better for me to die than to live. It's not uncommon for the people of God to pass through those seasons. Job went through that season. He actually said those words. He said, it would be better if I were never born. It would be better for me to be dead than for me to be alive. And sometimes we can have those thoughts. We think this is so hard and so bad that I just want to end it right now. Not worth it. Not something that we should uh, do on the whole thing. It was something um, that, that we wrestle with. Sometimes it isn't suicide, but sometimes there is herbicide. And by that, what I mean is this. God says that we're going to bear much fruit and if we hang in and we finish what he started in us Then fruit is going to come out of our life But sometimes things can get so hard that we say you know what? I don't care anymore. I don't want it anymore I don't want what God has for me. I just want some comfort And if I live my life in ease, that'll be good enough for me Trials are funny things, aren't they? The things that we go through in our lives Isn't it interesting that some people never seem to go through trials even christians? I mean, some of us have gone through deep waters. Some of us are in deep waters. And sometimes we look around at other Christians and it seems like it's just like so easy for them, right? They never go through anything. They're never sick. They're never broke. They're never, you know, worried about, you know, they're never lonely. There are always people around. They're always happy, you know. We just go, what in the world is going on with them on things? Think about this for just a minute. God in his sovereignty gives us trials and tests According to what is needed for our future fruit and future change Paul said it this way. He said that in a house There are some vessels that are for honor and others for dishonor He said some vessels are made of gold and some vessels are made of wood Now a wooden vessel can be a precious vessel But you don't purify a wooden vessel with fire Because it destroys the vessel You can purify it with water, but you can't purify it with fire. Gold, on the other hand, if you want to refine it and make it better, you can't use water. Water won't purify gold, but fire will. And God, in his sovereignty, he knows what he's doing and what we need, and he brings us through trials accordingly. And so sometimes, some people, well, they're just wood, (laughs) right? Like, they don't have to go through it. And if you are, take hope. It's because god is fashioning forging purifying something wonderful something great Look at joseph's end in this whole thing In one day he was exalted look at jacob's end think of this. He's sitting on a pile of ruins Not expecting that anything good is going to come out of his life and then in one day one day All of a sudden an entourage comes out of egypt and in one moment listen to what happens to joseph jacob Resolution of a two decade old family conflict Number two An abundance of instant wealth Number three News That the son he thought was dead Is actually alive And then four An invitation out of the blue To relocate the family enterprise Into a thriving fruitful marketplace With all expenses paid for the relocation I mean just put yourself in Jacob's shoes for one minute God, what are you doing? How long will this trial endure? Why have you forsaken me? And then in one day, all of a sudden, 10 truckloads of wealth show up in your front front yard. Your ship comes in. Everything is resolved. All your problems are solved in just one moment. That's what happened to Jacob. The resolution finally came. Here's the exhortation to you and I. Don't quit because of the difficulty of the trial. Don't fall out of the way because you're in a tough season in your life. God is doing something. He's going to come through. The second thing, the second danger that these boys could befall is to fail because of fighting the wrong fight. Failure because of fighting the wrong fight. The word fallout is also translated in some places quarrel. You might even have a translation that uses that word in verse 24 that joseph says see that you do not quarrel along the way And that is a translation that's used sometimes Joseph knew these guys And he knew they had the propensity to Cause problems for one another And what he knew is that they could Through their conflict Within the family within themselves They could become distracted and they could ruin what was yet to come. I believe that's a very relevant warning for you and I as Christians in the modern era. One of the things I think that sidetracks Christian and churches probably more than many other things is conflicts amongst ourselves in fighting the wrong enemy. Listen, our enemy is not other Christians. Our enemy is a world that is blinding lost souls and a devil that's holding people captive to do his will and keeping them from coming into the light that God has given to you and I And when we become over consumed and focused on the things that are happening in this building or in amongst the buildings that have crosses and doves upon them We lose sight and track of what the real enemy is and in that we automatically lose focus on our purpose Have you noticed that we live in a world today of nothing but highlights and headlines? I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't read the news anymore. I just read headlines. I have a few sites that I go to, and I'll read 50 headlines in five minutes. Now, when we read headlines and just look at highlights, we have no idea what's going on behind the scenes, and we formulate and make assumptions based upon the things that are put forward right on the front. I think we've become accustomed to living that way in other parts of our life. It isn't infrequent that somebody comes to this church uh, that is kind of coming from another church. And it could be any background or tradition that they come and they come and they sit for a while and they, they get involved. They fall in love with the word and they just get plugged in and they get knit into the family here. And then a conversation will happen, I'll be talking with them, and, and this happens all the time, that people say, you know what, your church is nothing like what I heard it is. And I'll say, oh? And I, I've had this conversation enough times that I already know what they're going to say, but I just want to hear them say it. And I'll say, what did you hear about our church, you know, out there at your church and in the other churches? Say, well, they all said that you're a compromised church that you guys allow sin and that you don't talk about sin and that you're kind of one of this, you know, happy gospel churches that doesn't talk about anything hard or sin or anything. And they'll say, you know what's amazing is you guys are nothing like that at all. You guys talk about things like that all the time. Like, what in the world is that? Listen, you know what it is? It's highlights and headlines. And I've fallen victim to it. People say, that's a seeker-sensitive church. Oh, a seeker-sensitive church, what does that mean, you know? And all of a sudden, like well, like, well, that means that they let sinners come in and they don't challenge them on their sin, you know, they're just very careful and gentle with, with sinners and they, they don't they don't tell sinners that they're sinners and they let sinners sit in their churches and they let sinners serve in their churches. They're seeker-sensitive. Wait a minute, that's a headline. Okay, what you're doing is you're taking a title... And you're making generalizations and assumptions, and you're carrying it to conclusions that aren't even close to what is absolutely true. Seeker-sensitive. We've made it bad, but I want you to just consider or reconsider for a minute. Does that mean maybe in the mind of the person that they're sensitive to the seeker? Meaning that there's a person that is seeking truth a person that is seeking purpose and meaning for their life, a person that's seeking reason for the problems and the things that they're facing, a person that is seeking connection with a world that has cut them off in every way that can be imagined. And now a Christian who has the love of Christ and the message that can transform them comes alongside and is sensitive to the condition that they're in. And seeks to impart to them the knowledge of the truth that they are valued by God and that they mean something to God and that he's not against them. And they do that so that they can lower their defenses in a way that they can then hear the message, respond to it and be saved. Isn't that what Jesus did? When Jesus met the woman at the well, did he come alongside the woman at the well and say, you have, you dare. Come and dro- do you do, do you not see these robes do you not are you harlot you get some things straight in your life then we'll talk about living water no jesus was very sensitive to that woman and he deconstructed her preconceived religious notions, and piece by piece removed the force field that she had against men, against Jews, and against God. And by the end of a sensitive conversation, he won her to a conversion and a persuasion that he was the answer to every need that she had. And is that not what God has called us to be? Oh, seeker sensitive. They're a feel-good gospel kind of a church. yeah. The lost world hasn't felt anything good that won't destroy their lives ever. And we can bring them the feeling that they're valued by God and then give them the message that could bring salvation into their life. No! You can't do that. Highlights and headlines. Listen, we have something to learn from every church that exists in Dutchess County, the United States, in America, and the world. And if we get focused on the wrong fight and we start fighting against churches and against Christians and against one another, and we become more consumed with the small things that mean nothing, then we lose the fight and we never find our purpose because God's purpose for us is something great out there to bring them in here. It's absolutely necessary that we get focused with what's important and that we set aside the things that aren't. We have something to learn from one another and we become so isolated in our in our culture in our society We marvel sometimes here at the church the things that people put up on Facebook The the slime that they just throw out there my husband does And the reason people do it is because it's the only connection they have left with humanity is on a screen And it's a shame We're the church of Christ. And we're to have fellowship and intimacy with one another in a wholesome way. And we're to connect on a personal level and grow from what one another can contribute. When we fight the wrong fight, we lose our purpose and we fall out of the way. Don't quarrel. Number three, and finally. The third danger that could cause us to fall out of the way is that we could freeze in the path because we're out of touch With the voice of god Now I want you to think about this for just a minute Jacob Comes to the border Of egypt He's in beersheba And a battle Begins to ensue within the heart Of this man Egypt I don't know if i'm supposed to go to egypt Egypt is bad Egypt is A-traditional Egypt has been nothing but problems for my people and our people in the past. Abraham went to Egypt and it was a nightmare and a disaster. Isaac was told specifically and implicitly by God, do not go down to Egypt. And here I stand on the border of Egypt, my entire entourage behind me, and I'm about to cross a cultural barrier, a religious barrier, a traditional barrier that should not be crossed And I don't know if I can do it. I I don't know if I can worship in a church where they raise their hands. That's not my tradition. I don't know know if I could get a tattoo and if that's right. I, I don't know if I can sing songs that have drums accompanying them. I don't know if I can partake in a service that's maybe more liturgical than what I was brought up with. I don't know if I can do it. There's a line here. It's not the tradition that I'm used to. But notice what it says in the text. It says that he sacrificed to the Lord there, which means that he sought the Lord. And listen, it says that God spoke and he said, Jacob, Jacob, go to Egypt. In other words, God circumvented cultural, traditional, religious prejudices. And God said go, even though the religious culture and tradition said no. And God likes to do that sometimes. God told Elijah to go live with a single Gentile woman. <laughs> oh, God, we don't do that. We don't even associate. And you're telling me to go live with a, with. He didn't tell him to sleep with a single Gentile woman, but he told him to go live with her. God told Paul to essentially take a vow, a Jewish vow that was against his convictions. God told Paul to circumcise Timothy, but not Titus. God told Peter to eat bugs and shellfish, which no clean Jew would do, but God told them to do these things. Now listen carefully. God will never, and please listen, if you've fallen asleep, wake up now. God will never Tell you to do something that is a violation of a command That he has clearly given in the word of God Do I need to say that again? But He loves to violate culture and tradition and religion And he does it all the time It's part of confounding the wise And if Jacob hadn't been listening to God and he just put things on autopilot and he said, I'm just going to do things the way I always did things, then he never would have crossed that border into Egypt and he would have fallen out of the way. And sometimes God wants to whisper something in our ears that's unconventional maybe to something that we have grown up in But yet it's very much his will concerning where he wants to take us for our future and our success in reaching what it is that he has called us to be. What's the point? The point is this, is that Jesus calls you and I to abide in him. That's what he calls us to. He calls us to abide in him. That means moment by moment, we're to be relying upon him and listening to him and being led by him what he wants us to do in our lives. Do you know that that's probably the key to all of all of life is right there. Bobby's going to teach John 15 very soon. You, that's the key to all of life. Jesus says, if you abide in me, your prayers are going to be heard, your joy is going to be full, and you're going to bear much fruit. If you don't, nothing. So my choices are prayers answered, joyful, much fruit, or nothing. It, it seems to me that it makes sense that we would learn what that passage means, right? To abide in him and that that's where we would live. And we see Jacob doing it here and thus he realizes the destiny and the purpose that he has. The musicians can come, we're done. But I close by asking you this question. Are you in the path? Are you in the path that God has called every one of us to? Birth, death, resurrection... I don't know where you are in the path. Maybe you've quit because of the trial and the difficulty of it. I ask you this question. What has God given to you that makes you unique in the kingdom of God? What has he given you to do? What opportunity do you have? Are you still pursuing that purpose? Or have you in some way fallen out of the way? Either quitting in difficulty, getting distracted with religious stupidity, Giving up? Being religious? Or are you still following after? What is all this for? Father, we just thank you tonight as we look at these things. And, um, and, and Lord, we're just excited to realize that you have something for us. And, and you call us to embrace the fire of preparation. And you call us to learn and tap into one another. And you call us to listen very carefully and to abide in you. And I pray tonight for all of us here, Lord, that you would give us, in a sense, a revival. I pray that you would bring us back to the place where we realize that we've been created for good works, preordained of you. And Lord, I pray that we would realize the fullness of what we've been called to. And that not one of us, not one of us here, would have a promise of entering into your rest and then come short of it. And so, Lord, help us tonight, I pray, in Jesus' name, to stand up to our feet. And you can stand to your feet right now. And that before you, O God, our hearts would be in complete surrender and in full expectation that you're going to finish the work that you've begun. And we hold up, Lord, the condition of our hearts and of our lives right now before you. And we ask you, Lord, that you would make changes, that you would awaken, that you would convict, that you would adjust. And that you would heal. So we give you our lives. And I pray, Father, that you would use the Christians in this church to make an impact on Dutchess County and New York State. That it would be far and wide. And that, Lord, we'd find satisfaction and success in you as we walk. Tonight we hear your Spirit say, see that you fall not out of the way. And I pray that by your power... By your love, you would keep us in that path. So help us. And it's in Jesus' name that we ask. Amen. Let's sing.